0: prayer. Uh, thanks, Chris, for playing that, and uh, worship team for leading us through that. Well, good morning to you. How are we today? Good? Right. Well, I don't know about you, but I, I don't know if I've experienced it this way before, but having communion, I think we did last year, but I just didn't remember it, but having communion and singing Christmas songs all at the same time, what a well-rounded picture of looking at the promises of God and His his promise for a Rescuer to come and to deliver us. And we, we think about that during this Christmas season, and then at the same time get to take communion together to see the fulfillment of that Rescuer coming in the person, in the work of Jesus Christ. And uh, I was just so blessed by that, um, that we were able to do that this morning. If you got your Bibles, turn to 2 Peter. Second Peter, page 1018. <clears throat> If you guys have the same Bible I do, maybe that matches up. Okay, we're in the book of Second Peter today, and um, just a little bit of a spoiler alert, we, uh, we're going to look at this passage, and one of the things it's going to reference is God's promises, um, which is exactly what we sang about and what we, what we took communion about, what the work of Christ has done. So don't miss that as we walk through this passage that you see us talking about God's great promises, okay? Um, but let us proceed Um, today in this passage, the text that we're going to be unpacking, let's proceed with this conviction that these verses that we're going to study today are the exact words of God for us today. It's not by accident or by chance that Jay asked me to preach today. It wasn't by accident or chance that God said or that I decided to preach on this passage. These are what the Lord would have us to hear today. Do you believe that? This is our conviction. Let's think this way and let us remind ourselves that it's not um, the work that's happening today is not you and I coming to the text and examining it matter of fact it's the other way around it's the text is going to be examining our hearts and looking into us and so we 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 delight in that we want that to happen and we believe this way. Let's believe this way. As John Piper says, let's saturate our minds and our hearts with all the glory and excellence of God in the scriptures. And then one day we will see an explosion of our affections for Christ. Just like we talked about, just like we prayed. Lord, I want to yearn for you. I want to, I want to go hard after you. And the more we get into his word, the more we study it, I definitely believe that there's going to be this explosion in our affections for Christ. We're going to want Him more than we want the things around us, both individually and also corporately as we gather here together. And so when Jay asked me to preach, my my aim was to preach on discipleship, was to think about growing, uh, particularly sanctification, growing in godliness. If you've never heard that word before, sanctification uh, is a big word that says, to be set apart, to sanctify. Jesus prayed that in John 17. Lord, sanctify them by the word. Your word is true. Or sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. And so it means to be set apart, to be changed, to be more like Christ. And so I wanted to touch on that subject today. And so I picked this text, um, 2 Peter 1, verses 5 through 11. And, and I labeled the title, or, or the title of the sermon, It Takes Effort. And I quickly realized after digging into this passage that I can't clearly explain verses 5 through 11 without explaining verses 1 through 4. And so you're going to get a a compact version of what probably should be two sermons. Um, But it's funny how that works, isn't it? The author almost intended it for it to be written or read and studied side by side. And uh, that's why I was reminded again why we teach here verse by verse is because we want Scripture to mean what it wants to mean. We want want to let the Bible speak for itself. Instead of me, it was kind of a, a reverse. I came and said, I want to teach on discipleship. Now, what passage do I want to teach? And what I love that we do, and we do walking through books of the Bible, is we say, what do you want to teach us today, God? What is it that you have for us? And let Scripture speak for itself. And so, my revised aim today, as we look at this passage, is to expound the fact that here in this text God's word is warning us against being lazy in our faith and drifting away from Jesus Christ who is our only hope and my procedure in doing that will be to advance through this text inductively letting the pieces build around these three points which you can find in your uh your worship guide your bulletin there the source the effort and the result let's begin by reading Um, I'm going to read verses 1 through 11. Inspired by the Holy Spirit, Peter writes, Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has granted to us all things, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins therefore brothers be all the more diligent to make your calling and election sure for if you uh, for if your practice of these things for if you practice these things you will never fall for in this way there will be richly provided for you an inheritance into the eternal kingdom of our lord and savior jesus christ amen Before I get to our first point, let me make a few uh, introductory comments that I don't want you to miss about verses 1 and 2. Just to highlight, Peter, Simon Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, says this. He says, I am a a servant and an apostle. Okay, so make sure you note that he says the the order that he puts his, his title in. A servant and an apostle. No doubt Peter is remembering when Jesus said that the Gentiles want to lord it over them. The rulers of the Gentiles want to lord it over them, but not, that that's, not, that's not the way it's supposed to be with you. He says, if you want to be at, follow after me, you'll be least of all and servant of all. And so, uh, so Peter gets this right when he says, I am a servant and then I'm an apostle. He could have caught up and said, I'm an apostle, I have all this authority But he he first shows his humility and, and his obedience to what Jesus was teaching as he says, servant. And then the next phrase down, to those who have obtained the faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ. He does that again. He doesn't say my faith is better than your faith because I'm an apostle or because I'm a pastor or a teacher. What he says is my faith is the same as yours. We have equal standing in our faith, in the righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. And so Peter does that again and and displays that for us. He also tells us in these verses that who he's writing to, he's writing to those who have obtained this faith. He's writing to believers. Those of us in this room that, that trust and believe in Jesus Christ, he's writing to us. He's writing to you and I, those who have obtained the faith of equal standing by the righteousness of God. And then in verse 2, what he wants for us. And he repeats this. If you read through the whole letter at the very end, he says the same thing. But he says, what I want is he wants grace and peace to be multiplied to us through the knowledge or in the knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ our Lord. Paul wants us to gain knowledge and understanding. That's not Paul. Peter wants us to gain knowledge and understanding. He, he doesn't want us just to, to have head knowledge. It's not just that you know the facts but that you have a heart's knowledge, you have an understanding of who God is and who Jesus Christ is and what they have done and accomplished. And so moving into our text for this morning, chapter, um, chapter, uh, chapter, verse 3 says this, his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Through the knowledge of him, there's that phrase again, who called us to his own glory and excellence by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises. There's those promises that I was talking about. So that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desires. Now, again, like this sermon could be all on its own, but, but what Peter is saying here in verses 3 and 4 is he's talking about life and godliness. Godliness. Life and godliness, or another way to say this, is moral and spiritual transformation. He's talking about eternal life and living that way now. He's talking about eternal life and living a godly life right now. Have you ever heard of the phrase, uh, faith is like fire insurance or a fire insurance policy? Have you heard that? Or maybe you've heard faith is not like that. What is meant whenever when someone uses that phrase is faith is like fire insurance What they're saying is that I can escape hell But then I don't have to live differently I can I can have this insurance policy that says that I trust and believe in jesus So I won't go to hell, but at the same time I can I don't have to change the way I live That's really what they're getting at when they use that phrase fire insurance Policy and this verse that we're reading right now is does the exact opposite of that There is a strong connection here in Peter's mind between believing in the gospel for eternal life and then living like a Christian. There's a strong connection between believing the gospel and trusting in the gospel for eternal life and then living like Christ would. Life and godliness is as he says. John Piper writes it this way or says it this way, The hope of life and the way of godliness stand or fall together. Or to say it another way, if we reject godly living, then we also reject of the hope of eternal life. If we reject godly living, then we also reject the hope of eternal life. Now verse 3 explicitly tells us that the power to believe, the power to live a righteous life does not originate with us. It says here in verse 3, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godly. His divine power has granted to us. Has granted to us all things. That's just not part of the things. We're not meeting God halfway. It's all things. All the power is supplied for us. All that we need for salvation and for living godly lives is from God. And much like our sermon last week, as we talked about children and infants, we are like that. We're all like infants and children. We need everything provided for us. You can't come to God and say, well, I've got this piece, God. If you bring yours, what you've got, and what I bring, I'll bring what I've got, and maybe we can make this happen together. It's all of God. God does that. He works in us, and it's His divine power that's where it originates. And this is very good news for you and I, because if it was left up for, to you and me, We would um, not obtain all things. And get me, you have to obtain all things. It's not, you, you can't just get part, but all things. And so if it was left up to us, we would not do this. We would utterly fail. We would fall short. All of us have fallen short of the glory of the Lord. And so we need him. This is good news for us, that he in his power gives us all things. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead is the same power that flows through us to, to, um, to give us salvation, and also to help us walk in a godly way. The way of godliness and the hope of eternal life do not lie within our own power to produce or to obtain. It lies in God's power. This is the source. This is the source of it all, His divine power. We don't re, uh, if we don't um, rely on the divine power, we could never obtain eternal life or be godly. John Piper does a good job of clarifying this. Let me read his words to you when he says says it like this. The Christian faith is not merely a set of doctrines to be accepted. It is a power to be experienced. It is a tragic thing to ask people if they know the Lord and have them start listing things they believe about the Lord. Believing things about Jesus, Christ will save no one. The devils are the most orthodox believers under heaven. It's the divine power that saves. If the power of God does not flow into your daily life and make you godly, you are not Christ's. All who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God, Romans eight fourteen. The mark of sonship, of being his son or being his daughter, is divine power. And the mark of power is godliness, which means a love for the things of God and a walk in the ways of God. This power that we've been talking about here, that he says here, his divine power has been granted to us, has been given to us, given to those who rely on Christ's righteousness, to those who accept the free gift of grace, those who believe, as the text says, in his precious and very great promises. And this power becomes active in in our day-to-day lives as we uh, through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence let me say it this way Um, think about these very great and precious promises that jesus died on the cross that he'll never leave us or forsake us that he will come again and save us that we will one day be rid of this body of sin that we won't have to deal with the, the effects of sin anymore these are true and great promises and it comes through knowing him more and more. The more we study Scripture, the more we know that. Uh, I heard someone liken it to this. Have you ever seen the cartoons or whatever it might be where somebody has a stick tied to uh, a rabbit or whatever, a dog's back, you know, and then they put a treat right in front of them, and so they're chasing after that treat? You know, you put that carrot right there and they're running after that. This is what it looks like for you and I to to cling to and hold to those very great precious promises if we walk through life and we don't have the great promises of the lord we can't we don't remember the gospel and what he's promised to us that we can have eternal life and that there's power to live a godly life now we don't have that in front of us then we're going to be chasing other things and this is exactly what sin wants to do sin makes its attack by holding out other promises to us for our happiness Sin says stuff like this when it lies to you and says, if you cheat or if you lie on your income tax return, you will have more money and you will be happier. Sin also lies to us when it says, if you divorce your spouse, you will be happier. It says, if you don't upset the relationships with your neighbors and your coworkers by sharing Christ with them, you'll be happier. And I could go on and on, but I think you get the point Sin will always, let me repeat, sin will always win the battle unless we are daily preaching to ourselves the precious and very great promises of God. Unless day by day you get up in the morning and as you, I mean, not literally, but as you put on your clothes and you get dressed, you put the carrot, the great promises of God before you and you run after those. If you don't have that in your mind's uh, eye, then you will just be running around chasing these lies That Satan will bring which leads us to our next point the effort look at verses 4 or 5 through 7 for this very reason this is the very reason why I couldn't just talk on this passage I had to do three and four because I needed to know what it was talking about for this very reason make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue or another way to say virtue there is moral excellence for, uh, for this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness or patience and patience with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. Now, this is a command. This is a command that says, do this. Supplement your faith. Make every effort. God has given us a command here. And we're all about the gospel, but we're not forsaking this command. This command says um, that we need to follow after this. It says, for this very reason, make an effort to supplement. What this is saying is that since God has given us the power, this reason that God, the source is God, the power is God, for this very reason and for the promises that he's held before us, strive to become godly because of what he's already done, God has given us the power for godliness, then strive to become godly. We labor and we strive and we put, put in tremendous effort for these things that were mentioned above, these qualities of Christ. Because God has already labored for us. He's already at work. It took effort on God's part. Before the foundation of the world was set, he had a plan in mind for a rescuer and for his son coming and for salvation to be given through Christ by faith. He labored, and now we don't labor for that salvation. Christ did that, but we trust in him, and now what he is saying here in this text is strive for, put in some effort to become like Christ. That's called sanctification, growing in godliness. If we ever reverse this order, we would be believing another gospel. If we ever reverse the order that says, I will work hard so that I will be saved, we're believing go- another gospel, which is no gospel at all. Never say this, that I will work out my salvation so that God might work in me. Do you catch that subtlety? This is how Satan does it. Little twists. I will work out my salvation so that God might work in me or never say this I will press on to make it my own so that Christ will make me his own but rather say as what scripture says and Paul says in, in Philippians I press on to make it my own because he has already made me his own our motivation for pressing on our motivation for exerting effort to become more like Christ is not that that God would have favor on us and save us that We have that effort, that motivation, because he's already done that. Listen to me. God is for us, right? God is for us with divine power. You have all the divine power you need for life and godliness. If you're like, I just can't get past this. I can't live in the way Christ would want me to live. You have all the power you need to live that way. Make an effort. You have the power, make an effort is what Peter's getting at here. And he says that this power, this effort, starts with faith. Verses verse 5. Faith is the saving ground in which our sanctification in these virtues grow. And as we trust in the gospel, these great promises of God, and we hold that carrot in front of us and we chase after them, we live now pushing forward with intentional effort to grow in these seven qualities that's mentioned here. Peter is saying that if you are truly a Christian, Christians do not stop pursuing growth. They go on, they advance, they push forward, they apply themselves with great diligence to, as in verse 8 it says, increase in these things. To increase in these things, he's calling us to have a a holy dissatisfaction with where we are right now in our lives. To have a holy dissatisfaction. Yes, you're saved and you trust in him. And I have some patience with my kids, but I don't have enough. And so I need to press on to increase in these things is what he's telling us. Don't be content with where you are. I've trusted and believed. I did that for a long time. I trusted and believed in Jesus Christ, and then I thought that automatically I would grow without any effort of my own. I didn't get into the Word. I didn't study. I didn't surround myself with people who would speak God's Word to me and teach me His Word. And so I was an infant. I was a seminary student in, in infancy because I hadn't given myself over to effort, to growing in my faith. Listen to this illustration. I think it might help us along as we think about this idea of effort and growing this way. This is a true story entitled Glinda's Long Swim, in which Glinda and Robert Leon were four miles off the coast of Florida fishing alone from their yacht. Glinda decided to take a swim and soon after found that the current had carried her too far out from the boat. Her husband, hearing her cries without even thinking, dove in and swam after her but then realized they were both being carried out. Now, he was a champion swimmer, but she wasn't. They made a plan. He would swim against the tide to keep the boat in view until the tide ceased and he could reach the boat. And she she would save her strength and she would just float with the tide. And he would come get her after he got to the boat. He fought that tide for six hours. And just as the boat, or um, just... As the boat um, was about to disappear on the horizon, the tide turned and his strokes carried him to the boat, exhausted right before the sun had set. His searching was futile. He could not find his wife. The next day, on the one, on the one last effort for, her, for this search, the search party found his wife 20 miles out and still alive. What an incredible story, right? Here's the point. Christians who just float never stay in the same place. Christians who just float never stay in the same place. If we disobey verses 5 through 7 and do not make an effort to apply them, we will drift into great peril. The tide of sin is so strong that we must strive even to stand still. The tide of sin is so strong that we have to put in effort just to stand still in our faith. This is what Peter is getting at in these verses. He goes on to say, he talks about this, the evidence of God's power. Remember the source, right? Always go back to the source. The source is the power. God's power has been given to us by faith. And so now you are making every effort to grow in these qualities. This is the evidence. If you're making every effort to grow in these qualities, then you are living by faith, living in this power. Which brings us to our last point. Verses 8 through 11, the result. 8 through 11 says this, For if these qualities are yours and are increasing... They keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to c- confirm your calling and election, for if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way there will be richly provided for you an inheritance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. From this few verses here, we get two results. You see two results here. The first one is that if you practice these things, what are these things? Those seven qualities we just mentioned in verses 5 through 7, right? The, if you practice these things, and you, you will be effective and fruitful, If you increase in these things, you will be effective and fruitful in your Christian walk. Okay. If you do not, is what it says. Here's the second one. If you lack these qualities, you will not be fruitful and effective. And you won't be fruitful and effective. And the reason why you lack these qualities, he goes on to say, is because you have forgotten the gospel. You've forgotten that you were cleansed from your former sins. You forgot what we just celebrated here. This is why we do this over and over. This puts before us over and over what Christ has done. So that we don't forget and become unfruitful and ineffective in our Christian walk. We need to again and again and again and again remember the gospel. It's the only motivation that we have. As a young Christian, and I used to always think, well, I need to read my Bible more. Right? Have you ever thought that? Like, I need to get into God's Word more. I do, and we need to have a holy dissatisfaction, again, about the current amount of time we spend in God's Word. But I need to read His Word more, more, more. And I focused on the discipline of doing that, and I could never get past it. I could never make myself want to get in God's Word more, or even yearn, as we just sang, for God's Word more. You know, the only thing that, 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 that changes that in our minds and our hearts is when we focus on the gospel. When you, when you hold up the gospel of truth, those great promises that God says in his word, that he has, that he is for you, that he has saved you, and that you have all the power you need for life and godliness, that's the motivation to want to read your Bible more, right? Or to do these other things, to, to be more patient with my wife or my kids, okay? This is, when we hold the gospel up, and what Peter was saying is that we forgot that, we become in, ineffective because we become blinded to the fact of what, we've, what we once had, that we were formerly cleansed from our sins. The person who quits swimming and putting forth effort to grow in Christlikeness has forgotten these great promises. And in the last couple of verses, it gives us, it describes this danger. And the danger isn't just walking around through this life as ineffective, unfruitful Christians yet saved. You get that? The danger isn't that, hey, I'm saved, but I'm just ineffective and unfruitful right now. I'm still saved. What Peter's getting at here, the danger that he's really talking is about is that if you're walking around um, ineffective and unfruitful and not growing in these things, then you might not be saved at all. That's what he gets when he says, "Listen." that's what he says when he uses this phrase, in in verse 10 therefore brothers be all the more diligent put in a lot of effort and and time be diligent to make your calling and election sure your calling and your election sure to make sure that you've really been called and elected i don't know um, how you've been taught about this matter of election before but please pay close attention to this verse The assumption is that the whole world lies under the righteous judgment of God because of sin. Because of God's great mercy, God ordained that a people for His own be saved by grace. These are the elect, His chosen, those whom He predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son. Paul explains in in Romans 8, verse 30, that those elect... Whom He predestined to be like Christ, Christ's likeness, He also called. And those He called, He also justified. And those whom He justified, which if you don't know what that means, justified means I'm standing before God. It's a legal position that says I am not guilty. I'm justified, just as if I'd never sinned before God. And those whom He predestined, He called. And those whom He called, He justified. And those whom He justified, He also glorified meaning the effects of sin are completely gone. That's the day when we will be raised into glory and we get new bodies. And so what it's talking about in these verses, as you see this progression, if He's called you, then He will glorify you. And what He's saying is none of God's sheep will ever be lost. They are eternally secure. Nobody can pluck you out of His hand. If He has called you, if you are one of His elect, then you will be saved. That's what it's talking about, and God wants us to know that. He wants you to know that you are saved, that you are truly saved. He wants us to have a joyful assurance that we are saved. He wants us to be assured of this and out of that assurance will flow tremendous power for sacrificial service and living for him and bringing him glory. And this is what Paul and this is what Peter says here will um, confirm that in your mind what confirms whether or not you're truly saved that's a big question right a lot of us have that question am i really saved am i really one of god i was talking to a a high school student not too long ago and they were visiting with me about a friend and she's like she really wants to be one of the elect she wants to be saved and what this text is saying if that's true if that's true about you then grow in these qualities confirm your election and your calling By growing in these qualities. If you see these qualities increasing in your life, that's good assurance that you truly are saved, that you truly believe. Our confirmation, the assurance of our salvation, is connected to growing in moral excellence, knowledge, self-control, patience, godliness, brotherly affection, and love. And so when Peter says this, Be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. What he means is that the reassuring evidence that you are Christ's is your progress in sanctification. Your progress in sanctification all of life. I had somebody after the first service, I need to clarify this, come and ask me, now explain sanctification again, because when we're saved, we are justified. Our legal position before God is that we are no longer um, held guilty for our sins, right? Jesus was our substitute sanctification is growing to be more like christ and so if you if you want to make a stair step on your paper that's what it looks like it's like when i first was saved i was here but now the qualities in me are growing and they're continuing to grow maybe there's times where i have low seasons but i continue to grow in christ that's evidence that we are truly christ when that progress of sanctification is taking place in our lives that's good evidence If you don't get anything out of the sermon today or you've been zoning out here's the point of the sermon ready in light of god's power the source right in light of god's power christ's effort we should earnestly confirm we are called and elected by making every effort to advance in these qualities because of god's power and christ's effort We earnestly confirm that we are truly His by making every effort to advance in these qualities that we've seen. So by way of conclusion and application, let me ask you this question. Are these questions? Are you making every effort towards moral excellence? Are you making every effort to increase in your knowledge of God's character and of His will? Are you making every effort towards gaining more self-control? Are you making every effort to be more patient? Are you making every effort to cultivate godliness in your life that means wanting the things of God, cherishing them and going after them? Are you making every effort to grow in your affections for the believers? To love one another? Are you growing in that? Are you making an effort there? Are you making an effort towards loving those whom you have a hard time loving? Are you making an effort to love the unlovable? Whether in your family or in your workplace or your neighbors, whatever it may be. If you are, keep going. Don't float. Because if you float, you'll start drifting away. You have to swim hard and increase in these things just to even stand still. Don't float. Keep pressing on. And if you're not, if you can answer some of these, I'm not growing. I'm not putting forth effort to get to, um, to know the people in the body of Christ better and to love them. Or I'm not putting in more effort to be patient with my kids. If you're not growing in these things, then remember the gospel. Look back to the gospel and remember that Jesus died and rose again so that we might have new life, that we might have eternal life, and that we might live in a godly way right here and right now. It's not just for when we get to heaven. You see that connection today? I hope you see that. It's not just about getting to heaven. It's about God wants us to be changed now and He's given us everything we need all the power that we need to live life uh, for life and for godliness so remember the gospel turn to him focus on him he is the only motivation that will cause us to grow to maturity let's pray heavenly father as we um, wrap up this time together and as we consider the things that you wrote here and um, your word and the words that you would have for us today god would you Would you examine our hearts? Would you look into us and uh, find the things in us that don't align with you, the places that we've been believing uh, false promises? Lord, would, would you remind us of the promises, the great truths of Scripture, the promises of eternal life, the promises that we won't have to deal with sin forever, the promises that we can be with you, that you will never leave us in our times of weakness and sorrow would you remind us of those great promises today would you help us to keep those at the forefront of our minds lord give us the motivation as we focus on you as we focus on the gospel would you give us the motivation to grow in our faith to grow in our sanctification to be more like you particularly these qualities that we've discussed and read this morning lord we pray these things in jesus name amen